Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. This is a book review episode about the book Why Buddhism is True by Robert Wright. This book has taken me about a month to read, admittedly, um, but it's just I've got very excited and ditched my Kindle as soon as I landed back in the UK. Um, that's worth noting, I'm no longer in Bali, so you shouldn't hear any chickens in the background. If you do, um, then it's something's wrong with your ears, it's nothing wrong with my recording. I'm back in England for a multitude of reasons, one of which was my laptop broke, which is particularly boring. But I had insurance back in England and I didn't have it in Bali. So what can you do apart from go back to where the insurance is? Um, and it's not all bad in England. I know that it's been a particularly shite winter with everything that's gone on with ugh, coronavirus and all the lockdowns and the restrictions. But I'm coming back with a little bit of a positive head on because um, if I don't, then I'll probably feel pretty sad about being back because I was in nice hot Bali a little over a week ago now. But that is beside the point. Let's get into the episode. Before I get into it, Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash a need to read with the word to and not the number, which is the opposite of the Instagram. If you go there and you sign up to be a Patreon, you get access to the book gang and you get access to bonus episodes. There's two a month. I've combined both of the tiers on there now, which basically means there's only one option, and that is the cheaper option, and you'll get everything for three ninety nine. So obviously, right now, there's not too many bonus episodes on there, but as the months progress, you'll keep getting them as and when they come, and that'll be two a month. So, I mean, for four quid, it's not that bad, as well as being part of the book gang with live Q&As and stuff like that. It's great news. So... Look, if you feel like you like what I do and you want to support it in an extra way that does a little bit more than a clap on a Thursday night, um, which none of you have been doing, might I add, um, yeah, just head to Patreon. Secondly, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp, I'm very proud to have them as a sponsor. And I love seeing people getting therapy through something that I'm encouraging, which is mad because therapy will change your life. With BetterHelp, you get 10% off of your first month of online therapy, which is already cheaper than your standard face-to-face counselling and therapy. So head to betterhelp.com forward slash need to read. You get 10% off your first month, which is roughly about 40 quid a week, which is roughly cheap in comparison to most other places. So you know what to do. If you're thinking about it, go and do it. If you're not thinking about it, don't worry about it. Let's just get into the episode. Now, Buddhism, as an idea, as an ideal, I like it. I think it's one of the only religions to be free of a strict dogma or a strict bunch of instructions of how to live and how to treat your neighbour and not eating fish or just some of the questionable things that come with other, other religions. Buddhism doesn't really seem to have that controversy, so I like it for that. I also like it because it's very centred on just doing the right thing. In Buddhism, there's a concept called the Eightfold Path. Now, that is... I'll, I'll go into it. There's there's eight things, weirdly, in the Eightfold Path that you need to do right. So there is right intention. So are you committed to living passionately? Do you 
compassionately, sorry, do you, like, do you, do you have the right intentions? Are your intentions pure? And there's right understanding. Like, are you seeing everything that you need to see? There's then right action. Do you always practice what you preach? None of us really do, and it would be nice if we did. Um, but that's in there. Right speech. Are you saying things behind people's back? Are you saying the right things? Are you letting yourself get tripped up by your words? Or are you just saying it how you see it and being true to yourself with right speech? There's then right mindfulness, which, I mean, we should all do anyway. It's just being aware of the present moment. Not always being in it, because I don't know if that's really that possible, but being aware of it is the main thing. Uh, Right concentration, which is focusing on the right things. Right effort, which is... Are you doing the right amount of effort? Are you putting that in? Are you making life hard for yourself or easy for yourself? You've got to find a balance. And then right livelihood. So have I lost sight of my calling? Am I doing the right thing? What is your calling? That's when you've kind of got to find it. And I may have said this um, at the start. I have. That is all eight. So that is the eightfold path. And that is... A pretty surefire way to make your life a bit better. Now, Buddha, Buddhism stemmed from Buddha. The Buddha was born into a royal family and then he just ditched him at a certain stage. I think he was married at... I'm going to dumb this down a lot, by the way, because uh, that's the only way I know how when it comes to history. He ditched the royal family life. He ditched the life of women and fast cars if they had fast cars that many years ago which they didn't um just let you know but he was a royal so he had everything at his disposal if he wanted it so he ditched that he then tried to find out his inner truth who he really was and somewhere along the line he decided that he needed to sit under a tree and just do nothing apart from meditate until he found that inner truth and that inner peace Unsurprisingly, it took him 49 days to get to that point of fasting and just sitting there, which is a mad amount of time. I've recently upped my meditation to an hour a day, and I'm nowhere near enlightened just yet. But 49 days non-stop would be very, very, very difficult. Can you imagine the ache you'd get in your hips if you sat cross-legged for that amount of time? I'm surprised he ever stood up again. I mean, also, this story should be taken with a pinch of salt because stories are are definitely going to change over a couple thousand years right but that's that's the concept of the buddha who became buddhist he became enlightened by sitting under a tree for about 50 days and just meditating and that's when he got a sense of clarity now buddhism nowadays it would be quite hard to practice which is why obviously it's it's not as popular as i say popular i live we live in the west so we don't really know what's popular in the east so much but buddhism um is not so much in the west to the fact that like christianity uh any other religion that that is around buddhism would be particularly hard to practice every day because you just have to meditate all day and it's very hard to earn a living when you're sat cross-legged on your bedroom floor I'm sure it's possible, but it is very difficult. So the Dalai Lama says, don't use Buddhism to become a better Buddhist. Use Buddhism to become a better whatever you are already. And I think that's really nice because 
you don't have to fully commit to something. This isn't a dogma like it is with other religions. They're not saying, right, you're either all in or you're not in at all. This is like, hey, come play for a little bit. You don't have to do everything that we say. Um, but if you do a little bit of what we say, your life will get better. And I think that's just the concept of Buddhism, is that there is no rules. The title of the book, Why Buddhism is True, is actually a bit of a... Um, I don't know if paradox would be the right word, but nothing is actually true in Buddhism. And they say that nothing exists. And there's so many paradoxes sort of within this book that will blow your mind about how life is full and empty at the same time. And we are empty beings that are full of something. It's, it's a very, very weird concept. And the book is quite confusing in that sense. He does a lot of comparisons between like Buddhism and natural selection. It, it wouldn't have worked. If everyone was a Buddhist, then natural selection would never have worked because natural selection, of course, you have to be selfish. You have to view yourself with some sort of importance that your genes are necessary to be passed on to the next generation. If you're a Buddhist and practice Buddhism, that thought wouldn't enter your head because you, you're not filled with a sense of self-importance. Everything is important. No, no one thing is more important than the other. And I think that's quite a nice concept to pick up on, actually, is that you're not more important than anyone else. I'm not more important than you. You're not more important than me. Even if you think you are, we may be subjectively to ourselves more important. But when you look at everything objectively... We're all just part of the same living, breathing organism that is Earth, which obviously, of course, makes me sound like a particularly hippie person. But it is true. We are all part of something that is way bigger than ourselves. And I think as people, especially in this day and age, we're filled with this sense of self-importance that actually shouldn't really exist because, like I say, when it comes down to it, I've said this before, but we're all pieces of shit. And I think coming to terms with that idea and coming to terms with the fact that you're not that important is actually quite liberating. Not to the sense where you're like, oh, well, I'm not that important, I'm just going to give up. It's to the sense it's like, oh, well, I'm not that important, but um, I might as well do some good. Just to set a good example, maybe. But it doesn't mean to see yourself as, as more important than another particular person. It's, you can tell the book makes you think so much. It's it's actually not an easy read. I will say that, and I think unless you're actually like strictly interested in Buddhism, um, maybe it's not the best for you. But if you're not interested in it, then maybe that's actually a good enough reason why you should read about it. Because I think on some level, people are searching for the truth, and with the title of the book, why Buddhism is true. I think it does deal out a good serving of truth in terms of how we should live as people um, so that we can all get along a little bit better, which would be an ideal world, right? Now, having a look at different parts of the book that I enjoyed, there, there were a few um, that I want to sort of bring up. Now, one is about how we see ourselves as so important. Now, there was an experiment done where... It was in the 1980s. There was a whole bunch of people. 
and they were sent out into the street. And before they were sent out into the street, they had scars put on with like special effects makeup. And then some of them, before they went out to the street, were like, oh, we just need to touch up your scar. And they actually took it off completely. So there was nothing on their face. But when um, they came back for their interviews after going out into the street and having conversations with people, they were pointing out reactions on the video of the person they were having the conversation with, saying that, oh, that's when they were looking at my scar, that's when they were looking at my scar. It's like a self-consciousness, because, and self-consciousness comes from a sense that we're important, right? Um, although, obviously, you are important, you are loved, you are worthy. Everyone tells you that on Instagram at the moment, so you should you should have that as a, as a good um, pillar to work from. But the whole point in Buddhism is, of course, that you're not, that important and we all think that we're more important than we are and we think people care more about us than they actually do so generally basically the point in this experiment was to point out the fact that people are so self-conscious of things about themselves they are allowed to be taken away from the present moment because they're worried about what other people think and it was actually proved, obviously, in this experiment that people worry about what other people think far more than what is necessary, which is strange, right? We probably all knew that. Another thing that I liked um, about Buddhism and about the book is the instructions when a feeling comes up, be that anger, hatred, anxiety, whatever that feeling is, you have to do the RAIN method. Now, the RAIN method, um, I'm pretty sure I've been taught this in CVT therapy before, but... Um, can't remember so with rain the r stands for recognize the feeling so firstly you just recognize that the feeling is there and you're like oh you're right here you are and then you accept it rather than trying to drive it away you know like when you're going to start crying you're like oh god don't do it don't do it don't do it and you try and like push push the feeling away rather than doing that you should just accept it and accept that it's there and that it's just shown up out of nowhere and that you can pretty much do nothing um about it apart from what's coming up next is the i in rain which is investigate it so you investigate the feeling and and how it's like what's the what's the physical symptoms of that feeling with anxiety like if you've got a tight stomach because your breathing increased your heart rate increased with anger do you feel like a hot flush do you feel like the emotion coming up from your heart in, in terms of rage look into that and investigate it and then the N stands for non-identification. Now, that can also be like non-attachment. It's difficult to not attach to your feelings. And everyone will tell you nowadays, oh, you are not your thoughts, you are not your feelings. But obviously they are part of us. So there's no point in trying to like completely detach from them. But just to know that that they're not actually part of you. I know I've just contradicted myself there. But, I mean, what can you do about that? Everyone contradicts themselves from time to time. Books like this make you think. And I think that's that's an, obviously a good thing, is it gets you thinking, it gets your brain ticking. Sometimes you don't agree with it. I, I do think, like, non-attachment is great. So you're like, oh, no, that's just anxiety, that's just turned up, that's not part of me. That it's strange because is that are you accepting then that the feeling's shown up or are you just not accepting it because you're not identifying with it 
it's something I'm going to have to look into a little bit more. But that was an interesting thing. So the RAIN method. So recognize it, accept it, investigate, and then non-identification or non-attachment to the feeling that has shown up. Another interesting part of the book is essence. So essence of people like you, you'll probably have an essence of me you'll you'll have made your mind up of what type of person i am if i'm a good person if i'm a bad person and anything that you hear about me my behaviors you'll attribute that to my essence so if i was to do something good if i was to do some charity work if i was going to go and build a school somewhere if i was going to go and teach some kids how to read or whatever I did that would be seen as sort of wholly good, you'd be like, oh yeah, Ed, Ed will do that because he's a good person. Based on the assumption that hopefully you think I'm all right. Um, that's what you'd attribute to. You'd be like, that's not surprising because he does good things. Whereas if I was going to do something bad, if I went into Tesco and I reached for the last bag of Maltesers and some old lady also reached to grab for it and then I punched in the face you might still attribute my behavior to my essence and be like, well, that was a one-off. Whereas really, essence of people doesn't exist. Let's say, for example, you thought I was a bit of a dickhead and I then did something good. You'd be like, oh, that's just a one-off. That's, that's, that's not his usual behavior. That's just a one-off. He's still a bad person. He's still a dickhead. And I think we make these judgments about people all the time. I can think of so many people that I think um, maybe aren't the soundest people in the world. And if they do something good, I still don't even think that it's that good. I'm like, oh, well, they're just doing that to try and better their image. Or I try and come up with all these different reasons why they did it. Because it doesn't suit my narrative for that person. Whereas in Buddhism, you'd look at it as every action that someone's taking comes from like a clean slate. So when I do something good, I'm therefore a good person, ignoring the essence of of what I'm doing. Because we each have a choice, and, and the choice is only here in the now, very power of now of me to uh, say. But you you get a choice in each moment to either do good or do bad, and obviously essence is built up around people from when they do good things or when they do bad things and you kind of build up that image and and you pick your narrative for that person whoever they are but it doesn't exist is what the buddhism say buddhists say it there is no essence of anyone or anything nothing is wholly good or wholly bad it just is and that is a very nice concept and I, I'm really trying at the moment now to, for those people that I do think are dickheads because of course there are dickheads here and it's okay to think that they're dickheads <laughs> apart from obviously it's not if you're living as a, a strict sort of Buddhist because judgment is is not something that you should do you should you should not judge people things or any situation to be any more than what it is which is just is which is all very confusing but that's kind of the whole book it is quite confusing and, and it, it's not a light read so if, if, if you're interested in it like yeah by all means get your head stuck into it but it's a very very confusing book 
in one part of the book he talks about buddhism and meditation as sort of like the matrix now if you've ever seen matrix you'll know what i'm talking about if you haven't seen the matrix i'll give you a very brief overview that some giant robot overlords keep humans asleep in a comatose state in these fleshy little sacks and they let them live through a simulation which hey could be the case we don't know that they could just be toying with us by making that film and sending it down to us even though we're on another planet in these fleshy sacks and we're just living through a simulation think about that for a moment but don't um so there was a glitch in the matrix neo um keanu reeves is given a choice of either opening up to the world that he's actually in and leave the simulation or forget that he was ever given the choice and stay in the simulation and just live that life and that is the red pill and the blue pill moment which you may have heard of before and the red pill is to wake up and morpheus who is kind of his mentor in the film says hey i can only show you the door you decide whether or not you walk through and that I love it. It's like taking a horse to water. Can't make it drink. I can only show you the door. That's all I can do with these books, right? I can I can only show you the door to the books. You get to choose if you walk through and start reading and start taking all the stuff from books and maybe improve your life. Who knows? Who knows? I can only show you the door. I'm not likening myself to a mentor for anyone or Morpheus, but that's where that part of conversation went. That's the good thing about not editing podcasts is uh I feel no I feel no fear of of messing up because I just I just go I just talk and wherever wherever I go that's that's where I go. Um but anyway, the matrix he took he takes a red pill in the end, sorry for the spoiler, and he wakes up. And I think when you start meditating, that's what you do. You kind of you get a general understanding for this non-attachment, this non-judgment, as difficult as it is. Now, I've done about 137 hours of meditating now, and I've started doing an hour a day, like I said, and it is really, really difficult. And it's not that I'm chasing enlightenment or wanting to be a Buddhist. Like I, I, I meditate because if I strive for maybe enlightenment maybe like maybe that is the reason that everyone meditates if i strive for it and fall short my god it'll be better than not striving for it at all because enlightenment doesn't really exist or hasn't existed since the the og the buddha siddhartha somebody got enlightened no one's done it apparently but a lot of people have tried and a common theme with pretty much everyone I know that meditates is that they would never go back to not doing it and meditation is one of those things and I'm just going to have a chat about it here because I think I've spoken enough about the book for you to know if you um, want to read it or not but meditation is, is one of those practices that if you get it locked in to your everyday life then you'll never look back it is amazing to sit there i mean you start off doing what like 10 minutes and you find it super 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 difficult and most people at this point give up and i think they say that the reasons why 
you think you can't meditate are the reasons why you most need to. Because people will sit down, but oh, my brain's just too busy. That's exactly why you need to meditate. This is plain and simple. The reasons why you think you can't are the reasons why you need to. I'm doing an hour a day because, yeah, granted, I've got a bit more time than everyone else, but I don't want to like take up my time in the day. So I just get up half an hour earlier and I've added an extra half an hour onto my session. And at the end of the book, he says, oh, the difference between half an hour and 50 minutes of meditation is big. But the difference between half an hour and 90 minutes is like ridiculously big. So I'm even considering pushing it to 90 minutes because I just like I don't know what's on the other side of it. But from everyone that speaks about it, it seems pretty cool. And I wouldn't mind knowing about it. So I might just do a month of 90 minutes a day and see where I'm at. I can guarantee that I'll feel better for it, but whether I feel better enough to know that it's worth doing that continually, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, so that, that why Buddhism is true. Is it true? Who knows? True is not a thing. There's nothing that can be true or false because nothing is anything according to Buddhist philosophy, religion, theory, whatever it is. The book's by Robert Wright. It's a pretty, I gave it four stars because I was interested in it. It was just quite heavy reading. Um, and it, it does back Buddhism with science and poses a good argument against it as well, um, which is obviously important in a good book because it's a well-rounded argument. But if you want it, uh, head online. It's Robert Wright. Get it from wherever you get your books from. Or, I mean, shops are probably opening up soon. You can go to a nice little, uh, nice little bookshop, see if they've got it in there if you're interested in it and if not at least you can just go to a nice bookshop and have a good day um because you've probably been stuck inside for so long so to round it up that was a book review if you're new here then thanks for listening please do go back and have a listen to some other episodes because i probably chat a lot less shit on those than i have on this one lots of good guest episodes recently lots of good ones coming up as well i just want to say join my patreon if you think what I do is cool, it's only three ninety nine, and you get loads of extras. If you need therapy, go to BetterHelp, or in fact, just go to a therapist, whichever way. I don't really care how you do it, but if you want 10% off, go to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. But that has been my first book review for a little while, I think, and I've waffled, waffled, waffled on for far too long. But thank you so much for listening. You're all absolute legends. I'll be back soon. Love you, bye.